As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and Max Verstappen recovered from his Q3 disaster to win the Miami Grand Prix with a superb drive from ninth on the grid, reasserting himself as the short odds world championship favourite. But why couldn't teammate Sergio Perez hang on to the lead, and why was the order in the Ferrari-Mercedes-Aston Martin battle shuffled again? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us to answer those questions and more are Scott Mitchell-Malm and Mark Hughes. Well, Mark, are you going to demand a bombastic, big introduction in keeping with the Miami Grand Prix, or is the usual hello good enough? No, I'd like the big, bombastic introduction, please. Okay, well, we'll get LL Cool J in for the next one. You'll have to bear with us for now, but we'll go big for the the next episode. And Scott, you're always lobbying for a bigger introduction, aren't you? So what did you make of the special pre-race presentations? Uh, I didn't didn't dislike them as much as I saw some people. Uh, take issue with them and I know they were unpopular with uh, quite a lot of the drivers but um, I, I I do take the argument that they're you know no, no no other sport does it on quite such a level but you know I've been to countless football matches and you have a PA announcer read out the starting lineup and everybody cheers each driver's individual name so it's not it's not an enormous departure from what's seen in other sports. I think it's. I think the pageantry is a bit bigger in the US sports. So I'm a big fan of basketball, and whenever I've been to NBA games, you know, the 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 announcement of the the the, the starting five players in particular they come through and guard of honor style, and then you know like a big big welcome entrance music kind of thing. So it is more in line with that. I think maybe. Um, I don't think it's just specific to here. I think it'll be done at a few races, not just the US ones. Um, it's just something different. I, I I don't have a huge problem with it. I'm not I'm not saying it's my uh, favourite way to build up to a Grand Prix by any means, but it's um 
It's inoff- inoffensive as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, certainly some of the drivers don't like it because it disrupted the preparation, but I, I don't particularly mind it. I, it's one of those things you don't have to have a really strong extreme feeling on everything, do you? But I guess with the event, it was in keeping with it. And I imagine that kind of thing is here to stay for certain races at the very least. Well, Mark, let's get into how the race was won. It's quite an interesting one here because Perez started on pole, led the race and was on what seemed to be the right strategy. So how did Verstappen manage to win from ninth on the grid? Um, He took the ostensibly logical decision because he was starting from P9 to... um, begin on the hard tired and that's quite a normal thing to do when you're out of position because you're going to be um, losing time getting past slower cars and you want to sort of build up the gap once you've done that and so you need a, a tire with a, a longer range um, but it wasn't expected to be as good a tire as it turned out to be relative to the medium and so he actually inadvertently well not inadvertently but in choosing the um, sort of practical tire for his grid position his compromised grid position, he'd also um, unknown, you know, beforehand, put himself on a on a, on, a, on a, the ideal combination of tyre actually, because the medium proved to be a little bit delicate, especially in, on a first stint when you're full of fuel. Um, so Perez couldn't really use um, the tyre, the the, the the medium tyre as hard as he would have liked when he needed to to have pulled out a, a gap. And the um, the hard had virtually zero degradation, um, and it was only a, a, even at its peak only a couple of tenths slower than the medium. So within you know very few laps, it was actually the quicker tire. Um, and the way that uh, the strategies played out, because you know Max did a long stint on it, um, and Perez did a, a shorter stint on it, it meant that Max was on the faster tire. For more of the distance, he was on the faster tyre for 79% of the distance and Perez was on the faster tyre for 64% of the difference. So that sort of overcome that initial delay, which wasn't a very big delay actually, that, that, that Max took in getting through the traffic and up to second place. Yeah, that was the key thing for him, wasn't it? Making those gains early on, minimising the losses while coming through. But Scott, did you feel that also Perez had a bit of an underlying pace disadvantage as well, we did see that through most of practice and qualifying, except for that one crucial run in Q3. Yeah, I, 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 I'd not seen anything through practice or qualifying to suggest that Perez would hold a candle to Verstappen in anything a, a, approaching a straight fight. And I think he deserves credit for piecing it together when it counted in, in qualifying, given the difficulties he'd had earlier in the, the weekend. And ultimately when you're in that Red Bull, if your bad weekends are so bad that you can still qualify on pole and finish second, then I think Checo will probably count that as a win. But the there's a reason he couldn't win that Grand Prix when Max only started and only started ninth. And it wasn't because Max Verstappen drove the greatest Miami Grand Prix in the history of Formula One races. It was because Max Verstappen was very good this weekend and Checo Perez wasn't quite as as good as as him i think if uh, honestly think if perez had been at the level with the car that he was in in jeddah and baku i think perez wins that race so i don't think there's really a question there but the fact that there were parallels with saudi arabia 
in in this race in you know Verstappen coming through having to get into second then try and chase down Perez in the lead and the key difference was in Saudi you were always waiting for that moment where Verstappen you know really turned turned on the afterburners went after Perez passed him and won you it was always, you expected it to come and it never did but what was different about this one is I don't I don't know about the two of you but for me there was an air of inevitability it was it was when not if Verstappen would come past yeah, it did feel that way, particularly as that first stint went on for Verstappen. What do you think, Mark? Do you think Verstappen would have won whatever the strategy? Would Verstappen have been able to win in Perez's shoes with the strategies being the same? I know it's always difficult to guess at that, but there did seem to be a pace difference as well. Yeah, they did. And when, you know, the through the practices, he looked to have between three and four tenths on Perez. And although Perez did, as he quite often does, find a, quite a bit of time on his uh, on that on that Q run that Q three run that stood for pole. It was difficult to judge whether it was real or, or just track influence because the track was, was getting faster. And we would only really have seen that with the comparison with Verstappen, of course we didn't get to see that. Um so I yeah, I suspect Verstappen just had a, a handy pace advantage anyway and the um the circumstances of the way the tire picture played out just you know helped them and and the way the first 15 laps of Verstappen's race just in general because if you were charting your rise or in your mind's eye plotting out how you were going to go from ninth to second um I I think Max would have been incredibly generous to himself to have imagined pre-race that he would have had such a serene run in that opening stint it it was it was perfect you know he 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 could have dropped he could have lost ground at the start on the on the hard tires and he didn't he was just making it wasn't just oh I'll make a place three laps later make another place it was quick fire a couple of places here then that double move in 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 into turn 1 and he was it was just it was one of those where just everything was coming together because he was even catching people in the DRS zone and passing them in the DRS zone in the middle of the lap so he'd lose a couple of temps in the first sector behind them, but then he'd gain five temps in the middle sector because with the DRS and the toe. So there was a point in the race where he was making progress in terms of position and track position while also taking time out of Perez's lead. So it was just one of those where as soon as Verstappen had that that clean run through the opening laps, that just that just charted a course to victory that he I just don't think he ever looked like getting knocked off of. Yeah, I think it's just a good example here. Perez had a good weekend, but Verstappen was just that little bit of a step ahead for the various reasons we've explained. But Scott, we have talked on recent podcasts about Perez's title hopes and the need for him to sustain his form. So what did the Miami weekend say about his chances? It's not good that he couldn't win with Verstappen starting where he did. And if you can't win in those circumstances he will struggle to stay in title contention because Verstappen will have very few of those weekends where he is out of position and Perez is given such an opportunity. When that car is as quick as it is, I know that margin is not as great on in qualifying, but it is, the, it is the fastest car over one lap and miles the fastest car over a race race distance. They're, those two cars should be starting and finishing first and second in pretty much every Grand Prix. And when something happens to knock the other car out of that for whatever reason then the other car needs to capitalize on it and 
the best way I can put it is that if it was roles reversed today and it was Max starting first and Checo ninth, you're not even questioning who's winning the Grand Prix and we wouldn't be having this conversation. So I, I, I just think this weekend's shown that Checo's peaks aren't the problem. It's those moments where he, he just cannot go with Verstappen, which he couldn't this weekend. Yeah, it's kind of in line with what we were expecting. There will be weekends like this and a reasonable number of them. So it's down to Checo to find a way to change that pattern from recurring too much. Mark, business as usual with Fernando Alonso taking his fourth third place in five races for Aston Martin. Does this show the Aston Martin is probably the most consistent of that chasing pack, given Baku DOS troubles aside, it tends to avoid the ups and downs of Ferrari and Mercedes? Yeah, I think it's got a better balance between qualifying pace and race performance. Um, and that's just, I think, partly the configuration of the the car. It's just, you know, a, a better concept of car than either the Ferrari or the Mercedes. And I think it's just partly the um, the, the way that they, they run it and the way that Fernando, um, you know, helps direct the team into, in, into getting the, you know, the, the, the perfect package for the weekend, really. And, and the way he used the the car the the way he, he we've seen it before from him this year he, he he doesn't take too much out of the tires for quite a long time and then he just applies the pressure and off off he goes you know he's, he's away um great performance again and yeah i think we're going to see many many more third places <laughs> behind two red bulls and i think that is the best the next best car after the red bull as a general package yeah unfortunately there's not quite enough in that car to take the fight to red bull but there will be days surely when things go against red bull so if alonso keeps doing that surely that long awaited next win will be there but Scott he was having a lovely time in the race wasn't he complimenting Lance Stroll's overtaking skills as he continues his Lance Stroll for future world champion campaign and also just a nice little not so subtle flex of just how much in command of everything Fernando is because he's so in control he can afford to look at jumbotrons and work out what's going on elsewhere and then radio over the um over to the team to 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 pass on his congratulations you 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 don't do that unless you I think you want people to realise that you're capable of taking in that information and acting on it. It's that I, I think there's a there's a little bit of that. I don't I don't doubt the sincerity that that was within it. I just don't think the reason for doing it was one hundred percent to be a nice person to stroll. <laughs> Well, as we've discussed before, Fernando Alonso is never one to let his brilliance stand for itself. He likes to find little ways to show that for for some reason. And yeah, he's doing really well at the moment. So it's great to see him fighting up the front and having a good time. And that's certainly good for Formula One. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, Scott, there was a new floor for Ferrari in Miami, which apparently did help, although the drivers are still talking about a peaky car. Carlos Sainz was fourth, Charles Leclerc seventh. I guess the obvious talking point is Leclerc's qualifying shunt and whether he was just being too aggressive in his approach. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think the crash itself came, 
uh, started a few corners earlier. He'd um, having having already having made a mistake on the first run uh, in in Q three and therefore been on the back foot. He was then aggressive at the start of the the, the, the second flying lap on the uh, the, the second run, um, and he, he he just went a little bit deep into into turn one, missed missed the apex slightly. So he's he's on the back foot already right at the start of the lap, and I just think he overreached trying to to make up ground for that. He just got a bit greedy on the inside curb through turn seven, just a bit too far over to the left. I think it caused the car to bottom out. Um, and obviously the rear just snapped on him, snapped on him instantly and did the, the, the very rare thing. I, I, I would imagine the two of you noticed in his spin where he did almost, he almost had two spins in one where he sort of spins off, uh, onto the runoff and then does a, and then has a, like another little spin within it, <laughs> which is what sends him backwards into the, into the barrier. Um, I think it's just, uh, I think, I think Leclerc was, um, we 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 know we know he likes to live on the edge and that that's where he he does his best work but sometimes he just gets that judgment slightly wrong and i think here it was baku i think was a great example of leclerc when he's sort of feeling comfortable comfortable in the car confident in the car and therefore just allows himself to take that extra risk because he he can just gather it up this was this a slightly different part of that same spectrum in that this time he was taking the risks to try to catch up a deficit. It, it was to try and, as he put it, do something special, take more risks because he knows the, the car's not there. And I think what you know whether that was to qualify best of the rest or because he thought he had a chance of splitting the rebels or whatever, he just asked a bit too much of, of that car, having lent on a very aggressive setup in, in his words, which he knew would be hard to handle, but thought would pay off overall so he was um he was the architect of his own downfall unfortunately and he and he admitted it as such but i i can understand why people get frustrated when he then is very self-critical and says oh it must not i can't do this it must not happen again it's unacceptable and then seven or eight races later he'll have something similar and 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 say similar things but i think that's just part and parcel of how Le- how Leclerc is as a driver. There, There is absolutely zero indication that he has any desire to change that approach because he feels that the the risk-reward ratio is is still firmly in his favour. Yeah, it's probably time for fine-tuning that. It was interesting, that curve, the, the left-hander, it was through that, that S just preceding turn seven. He's already taking more curve than most and he took a chunk more on that lap. So perhaps just knowing when he's already sort of on that limit is something that will help him. But yeah, generally it pays off for him. Mark, obviously Ferrari struggled in the race. Tyres seem to be the problem again. Yeah, um, Sainz went reasonably well on the, um, the medium actually in the first stint, but fell away badly in the, on the hard in the second stint. Um, maybe pushed a little bit too hard in um, trying to, you know, around, uh, he was being challenged by Alonso around the stops and pushed really hard on the outlap, so maybe that was that that was a contributing factor. Um, Leclerc was the other way around; he looked actually better on the um, hard than the medium. So very very difficult to sort of pinpoint where it's going wrong when it's 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 you know not the same between two cars, but it's definitely a a better qualifying car than a race car. I think we we can see that 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 seems to be. A, pretty consistent pattern um you know you forgetting the, 
the comparison to Red Bull, just just if you just look at comparison to the Aston Martin and the the Mercedes, that seems to be the pattern. So yeah, uh, Freddie Vasseur saying after the race that um, they're not really um, on top of it; they need to understand it, etc. Pretty much what Toto Wolff was saying yesterday about the Mercedes, how they they don't have a full understanding of its uh, of, of its shortcomings. Just such a great counterpoint, isn't it, to how Red Bull are doing that you've got Ferrari and Mercedes, the two teams that should be challenging, admitting to being surprised. But, Scott, you were, I think, hearing from Leclerc after the race, he was genuinely slightly puzzled by aspects of the car as well. So this car is quite a capricious one. Yeah, it was it was interesting, actually. We've heard before, haven't we, that the car's wind-affected and um, particularly vulnerable to that. I think they feel that they do have probably the most sensitive car on the grid to wind. Um, and it was really interesting hearing what Leclerc said because he said that, you know, he, he had a little mini debrief with, with, with signs before speaking to us. And when they talk about lacking consistency on the car, he said, it's not even corner to corner. It's It's in the same corner. There'll be a wild swing from an oversteer balance to an understeer balance just depending on what happens through the corner. And he just said that 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 makes it so difficult as a driver to gain confidence and to adapt your driving because whether you because then when you switch from one set to a different compound, for example, you're second guessing what the balance shift is going to be because the balance was shifting on the same lap, on the same corner before on the previous set of tires. And it's just it's just a bit all over the place. Leclerc said that it can be in a completely different window driving wise. And it just sounds like a real unknown how that car is going to react in, in certain situations. It's, it's an unenviable position to be in and you can, you can see why it can be a situation like in Baku, for example, where you had one driver that was really confident in the car, one driver that wasn't, and there was what, six or seven temps between them, like an enormous deficit. That's just how punishing this car is. If you can't, if, it, if you're having to just adhere to those limitations rather than take them on, you're nowhere with it. And it, I, I can't remember a, a, a race performance from Leclerc that was as limp as this one. It, it really came across as he was having to drive properly within himself because the car just wouldn't let him do anything else. Well, should we move from one troubled team to another one, Mark? In terms of single lap pace, this was the worst weekend of the season for Mercedes. The race was better, George Russell fourth, Lewis Hamilton sixth. But what do you make of the talk of the struggles to understand the car still? They're just lost with this car. Um, They have a big update coming at at the next race at Imola. Different front suspension and new bodywork. And they hope that that's going to sort of enlighten them a little bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, the things that they expected of the car as, as they build up a picture of it from one track to the next over the season, it, it, it just it doesn't play out that way. Um, and we saw this last year with the, the W13 as well. You, you, you'd, you'd have a race where it looked okay and then you go to a different track and that, that would seem to be suited to the, the, the in, a, in a similar way, would be asking similar demands of the car and it just didn't perform. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very inconsistent car, but in a, in a different way to the Ferrari. 
it's one of those things that concerns me a little bit because it's one thing to be off the pace, which Mercedes have been for the past year and a bit. But when they keep having these weekends where they admit to being slightly confused about the whole thing, that's slightly worrying. And obviously, Scott, the Imola upgrade is quite a big deal. It's not going to turn them into a Red Bull beater, but it is the new baseline, as Toto Wolf keeps saying. So I guess that's a big test of whether they really understand the things they need to to make those changes. Uh, yeah, but I, I think it's there's something that Wolf said on, on on the Saturday about removing variables that makes me think it's it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit about ticking off what what is right and wrong on the car rather than necessarily making it better. They they still they're still adamant that there will be an immediate step forward rather than I think as um, you. I remember you asking Wolf back in Jeddah, I think it was, Ed, you know, is it going to be a case of one step back to make several forward in the future? Because you've obviously got to recalibrate your baseline, basically, and then try and progress. And Wolf said there, didn't he, that no, it's it's performance now. And he reiterated that this weekend. But the fact that he felt the need to stress that it's also removing variables, finding out what doesn't work on the car and eliminating factors so they can stop going down that road. It's it's almost like... the. I don't know about the two of you, but I, I have the feeling that the racetrack might end up being a little bit of a live laboratory for them again for a while, while just be, just so they can actually affirm the direction they're going in. Because I think the way Mark described it in terms of this weekend to them being lost, I think I, I, until we get some really concrete evidence to the contrary, that, that surely applies to the broader development situation that they're in at the moment, do, do they actually know what that car needs? And have they actually done that to the car? I think Imola might be the first answers to that, but I'd be stunned if it's absolutely transformative and anything close to a definitive solution. Yeah, it's certainly going to be the first step. I should say that in the race, both Hamilton and Russell had a pretty good time. It was slightly delayed for Hamilton because he was stuck in that DRS train early on, but then the race came alive for him a bit later on. So the car was decent in in race trim as much as it was pretty terrible in, in qualifying trim. So again, it still has reasonable performance in it, but they were still... Russell was over half a minute behind, so there's a very, very long way to go there. Scott, let's talk about Alpine. For the first time this season, they delivered the results needed with Pierre Gasly 8th and Esteban Ocon 9th, so at the front of the mid-pack, which is where they need to be. How did they manage that amid the dilettantism that's apparently holding the team back? (laughs) Yeah, the uh, very surprising um, machine gun round that CEO Lauren Rossi fired into his team uh, over the course of the weekend in an interview with Canal Plus, the, the, the French television network. I I always find it interesting when senior team figures uh, feel the need to, to, to say that kind of thing in their own language, um, whether it's, you know, it's not hidden, it's on national television, it's always going to be picked up, but it just feels a little bit like I want to get this message out there, but I want to do it on my terms in my own little way. It's a bit, bit, bit weird. Um, not the first questionable decision I think Rossi's made as, as CEO there. But I think it was a weekend that they needed as a race team. Just really low fuss, get pretty much the maximum out of it. Not so much in qualifying, but definitely in the race in terms of the race result. Um, I think double points finish is what they needed after the disaster that was Baku. And even though it wasn't a bumper points haul or anything like that, it felt like a bit more of a, right, this is where Alpine really are, which is really in terms of pace quicker than anything else in the midfield maybe not over one lap because 
you know, cars like the Haas are clearly capable of something great over one lap, but the Alpine's a better race car. That that that's un, undeniable. Um, and actually, really, don't I, I don't think that car is that far off the that that gaggle that's fighting for second when it's at its peak. I don't think it's necess- I don't think it's a match for the Aston. I but I. <laughs> I don't. I don't think it's a million miles off the Ferrari or the Merc. Certainly, when the Ferrari and the Merc are struggling, I think they're vulnerable to, 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 to the Alpine. So, Rossi shot his mouth off and felt the need to, you know, question basically everything that his team's doing at the moment, which felt like a little bit of needless interfering. And I think it backfired. I don't think it went down very well in the race team at all. Um, probably didn't go very, down very, very well at Endstone either. But in terms of actually what they did as a job this weekend. I think in the context in, in the context of their season and the car that they're working with at the moment, I thought it was absolutely fine. Yeah, like I said, it's where they needed to be. Mark, it's worth having a quick word about Haas. Kevin Magnussen had one of his strong weekends with 10th, having qualified 4th. Nico Hülkenberg was flying until the second run in Q2 went wrong. So what explains their strong performance level? The car is very good through medium and high-speed corners and... Um, interconnected corners which is where quite a few of those midfield cars sort of fall down a little bit when they have to be you know um, turning for a long time um, maintaining that consistent downforce seems to be a problem still for quite a few of them but the Haas is pretty good there and this was a good that 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 first sector in particular really rewards that and I think um you know the drivers both got stuck in like the feel of the car and were able to you know give a level of commitment that that, that those in uh, less uh, predictable cars perhaps um, weren't able to yeah and magnuson said they put the new floor on in practice and they didn't have to touch the setup a great deal it felt good right from the start so one of those weekends but has a pretty consistent points threat gunter steiner was saying they're pretty happy with the consistency of scoring and that there should be some bigger paydays when more ahead hit trouble in future scott should we pay a quick visit to somewhere we've neglected so far this season valtteri bottas made q3 for the first time this year and then he was on course for points for a good chunk of the race before fading to 13th that's surely good reason to head to valtteri bottas sympathy corner yeah and i did really have a lot of sympathy for him after the race I thought he did a good job in qualifying very good right right at the very end and actually um i won't i i don't want to say that this is now becoming a bit of a trend but when he's in that position he did another good job at the start didn't he in terms of the launch but also the the way he attacked into into turn one and he, he ran in a good position early on as a result of all of that but in his words when i spoke to him after the race you know i think the race just showed where that car really is it, it's not a top 10 car it's it's a treading water in the midfield at best car he was fighting gravity from a uh, very early point in 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 his race Did, just didn't have the the time management didn't have the speed and we know that that car's not the fastest in a straight line he did his best but there was there came a point late in that final stint where he was just in free fall so uh, i think it looked sadly inevitable once you saw how his um, stint lives were playing out compared to his immediate rivals and other cars in the midfield that he was probably not going to be hanging on to a point in the way that, as we just said, Kevin Magnussen could in the Haas. Yeah, and certainly I think the the pace of that car was 
helped by fresh soft rubber in qualifying and also Bottas on a smooth low grip surface that's kind of his speciality so I think he slightly flattered the car and yeah overall the race result was decent but 13th isn't worth anything but you and Alfa Romeo that's about what was possible. Mark uh, McLaren were really strong in Baku last weekend and then were absolutely nowhere in Miami so do you have any explanation for their struggles both cars were out in Q1 17th for Lando Norris in the race 19th for Oscar Piastri just appalling. Yeah, not to the extent of the stark difference bet- between the performance between those two venues. Um, they were struggling. I mean, they struggle anyway um, with aero efficiency. They um, then they're, they're not quick on the straights. So if they are, they have nearly no downforce. Um, and it, I, this track is um, less tolerant of that than Baku, which is not all that sensitive to downforce levels um so that that that's part of it um they were in trouble with the brakes that the, the feel of the brakes in particular is um problematical um i think they're probably trying to limit how much the car moves to uh, keep the aero platform stable but it, it, it's it's given them real problems with brake and feel yeah and andrea style I was also talking about after qualifying, struggling a bit with points where they're not fully on throttle or fully on the brakes in those slower corners and longer load ones. They said they were struggling a bit in the castle section in Baku, for example, but it didn't affect the lap time so much. So those are actually quite classic McLaren problems of recent years coming through as well. So yeah, there's a lot of work there for McLaren to do. They're, they're happy with the upgrade and the progress that's been made since Baku. This was kind of a track that exposed their weaknesses. But yeah, it shows how much work McLaren's got to do. And it doesn't take much of a swing in track characteristics to take you from the front of the midfield, which is where they were in Baku, to absolutely dreadful and basically the slowest car as they were in Miami. We'll get back to the pod in a moment. But first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. Well, as is tradition, we tackle questions from the Race Members Club in the final part of our Race Review podcasts. To join the Race Members Club and find out more about what membership offers on top of the opportunity to throw questions at us on race day, head to therace.com and click on the race. So the first question we'll throw at you, Mark. It's from Simon Townend, who asks, can it really be that after all of last year and part of this year, Mercedes still don't really understand what is going on with their car? Are they actually positive the update will bring performance? I don't think you can be positive when you've not fully understood what your current problems are. So 
No, I think they're optimistic that it will head them in the right direction. But no, I, I wouldn't say they're uh, brimming with confidence that this next thing is really going to you know, make the difference. I think it's just still on a an early part of a voyage of discovery, really. Um, and yes, it, it's it, it's a continuation of uh, the problems with last year's car. It's essentially the same car, but with the uh, porpoising problem removed by a, you know, a better rear suspension and by getting help with the the, the, the floor egg change. Uh, it, it, it's Those two things probably uh, made them last year believe that all you had to do was sort out the porpoising and the aerodynamic potential of the car that they'd seen in simulation would, would um, be achievable. But this it, it's been revealed that it's not and they knew this before the season started but as to exactly why um no there's there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of detail not um pointing them all not aligning in the same direction and that's um that's 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 confusing them and it's confusing the building up of the picture but essentially um in hindsight um they they're They've delayed themselves by twelve months through staying with this car. Essentially, it's it's the same car with a different rear suspension. Yeah, it's a lot to catch up on. Next question for you, Scott from Ranveer Menon, who says, "Do the struggles Hamilton is having over one lap, namely about his discomfort in the car and the seating position, stretch back to last year as well? Given the DNA of the W14 is similar to the W13, or is there something new on the W14 which is causing his apparent disconnect on low fuel?" Uh, I, I think this is something that he's been working on since last year. He's talked about the elements of the car that are, are, are problematic. And obviously, we, we, we know that the, the cockpit positioning, for example, was something that was moved forward on, on last year's car. Um, as, as part of these new regulations, it was all in connection with um, what they needed to do to, to get the shape of the bodywork the way that, that they wanted it. Um, last year, um, I think this was in an interview that Mark was part of, um, Lewis described the the way you needed to drive the car as is like creeping up behind a horse. Um, the way you had to be so careful and, and cautious with it on on corner entry, you, you couldn't startle the car. Basically, I think that's what he was trying trying to say. It didn't respond very well with uh, sharp movements, and um, it, it's sort of the same again this season in that it's, it's perceiving the movement of, of the car and and trying to work out what it will respond to and just not have really having the confidence to lean on it because as soon as you start doing too much to it, the car reacts very poorly. I, I actually think in Miami, I think he did have the edge on Russell for, for, for pace, but he was really unhappy with how they handled that final run in Q2, felt that they were maybe a little bit too, um, don't want to say confident necessarily, um, but but they just, they just misjudged it. He felt that if they just got on with it a bit earlier he'd been able to run the out lap at his own pace prep for the lap nail the lap either the car could have got knocked out in in q2 there at one point i thought both would um he didn't nail it in the way that russell did paid the price started lower down did a good job after that but you can tell that i think it's just a car that punishes either driver um if they're not absolutely in this really really narrow window of making it work the next question i'll take is from jolly fricks who asks, for teams like Ferrari and Mercedes, who would be spending well above the budget cap if they were permitted to, at what point does the wind tunnel time they lose out on by finishing higher up in the Constructors' Championship become more valuable than the larger amount of prize money that it yields in their quest to catch up Red Bull? 
Well, the short answer on that one is that it doesn't. And that's not just because of the financial reward, which is significant for every position, but also because these are competitive entities full of people who want to beat whoever they can. Besides which, the effect of a position in the ATR is, while not zero, relatively mild. It's designed to be a gentle handicap system and isn't there to create a seesaw effect in terms of who is competitive. So I don't think teams are going to be throwing away championship positions to gain on the ATR. That's kind of a reward for under achieving, shall we say. Mark, the next question to you from Jeremy Husted, who says, are many media outlets giving Mercedes too much of a pass despite their continual struggles? It seems that if Ferrari or Red Bull had repeatedly failed at grasping these new regulations, there would be much more outrage. Instead, it's largely been continual excuse making, not just from the Mercedes team, but also many in the media. Um, I don't think we're here to judge, really. I think we're here to report and analyse. Um, so, yeah, I- I don't think I would be outraged if Red Bull had um, messed up their car, just as I'm not outraged at Mercedes has, but um, I wouldn't um, shy away from describing the shortcomings. I think that's that's the the um, the function of the media. It's not to be part of the fan base of cheering for your team and and, and booing for the other team, or or booing when your 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 own team is not as good as you want it to be. It's 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 just not it's not perspective from which. Um, well, for which I, I I've ever um, followed the sport, and I, I don't think for many of us in the media, I think that's just not how it how we approach it. So it's not a case of being critical or it, or, or um, you know excessively praising. I think it's just a case of describing and analysing, and uh, that, yeah, that, that that that's it for me really. Yeah, you know, I think whenever we talk about what they've got wrong, that's less excuses. It's more things they've got wrong. Anything they've got wrong is fundamentally underachieving and something they've not got right. So I would have thought we've talked about that uh, a fair bit, but certainly no question Mercedes are underachieving. Even Toto Wolff, everyone on the team would say it's not good enough. And I think that's the nature of Formula One teams. They're always setting themselves high standards and, and trying to deliver, but it is difficult. Scott, a question for you from Urban Strenchan, who says, do you think that Red Bull will start with team orders in the championship race so they make it easier for Verstappen since he is their main driver? Also, do you think that we can see Daniel Ricciardo replacing Nick de Vries at Alpha Tauri? Uh, I don't think Red Bull will go down the team orders route because I don't think I don't think they'll need to. I think as long as it gets to a point where Verstappen's just keeping Perez at arm's length, the situation will basically resolve itself, where... Where, where they need to be careful, and Christian Horner touched on this um, earlier in the weekend in a press conference, um, they just need to make sure paranoia doesn't creep into the fight, whether that's Verstappen feeling that he should or shouldn't be favoured, for example, or Perez feeling that he is or isn't getting a fair uh, fair crack of the whip. Um, as long as Red Bull can manage that, I think that's all they're going to worry about. As for Ricardo, I think we've talked before about his prospects of getting on the grid um next uh next season apologies if you can hear i've got a strange alarm that keeps beeping every now and again um in my airbnb in miami um i i think uh you know some kind of seat within the red bull fold is obviously the 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 the, the most straightforward option for ricardo given he's part of the red bull family now um but i think he'll have his sights on something much more competitive than an alpha tauri seat so i, I don't really see that happening yeah, and we should note, difficult race for Nick de Vries. He qualified well out, qualified Sonoda, made Q2, but then made that mistake at the first corner, locking up and hitting Lando Norris. So a difficult day for 
him. Mark, a question for you coming from a very, very different angle from Dave Langford, who says, with the drive to be carbon neutral, I think F1 should introduce something similar to IndyCar's system of moving the timing line back for qualifying before the pit entry, thus negating the need for an in-lap. Do you think this is something F1 would consider? F1 is all about marginal gains. This could be one. Uh, yeah, yeah, we are. Well, I mean, everything counts. It's it's not a bad idea. It's uh, it's something to be considered, yes. I, I, yeah. There's, prob- there's probably a, a, um, a, a little thing which will trip trip you up somewhere, but um, it's certainly worth looking at, I think. The irony of that suggestion is that it would be done in the name of sustainability, you would imagine, um, but the championship's hybrid engines are probably the reason why it wouldn't work because you need the in-lap, don't you? to help with the the battery state of charge. There you go. There's the little thing that would trip you up. That's it. (laughs) There's always something, isn't there? Always something. Scott, next question to you from Tom Bannister, who says, should F1 have one team that is dedicated to giving the previous year's F2 champion a race drive alongside an experienced driver? Or should F2 change so that the F2 champion can defend their title the following year? My feeling is something needs to be done so the likes of Felipe Djurovic is not left without a drive in either series. It seems that unless you're affiliated with an F1 team, then it doesn't matter what you do in F2, you will not race in F1. They could use the 11th or 12th team slot for this. I, I think it's difficult because, uh, as much as I, I agree that if you've if you've if you've won F two, you, you deserve a chance of some kind in Formula One. Drugovic has kind of got that with his Aston Martin role, but F one doesn't operate on a one in one out policy. It's not that every year there has to be someone that loses their drive because, and unless you had that, you have no way of uh, getting the. The guarantee in the F2 champion a seat, for example, and if you had a team for that, that, that was set up explicitly for that purpose, you know what what happens in future seasons. What the, once you've had two seasons worth of champions, that team's full. And where does that champion then go after that? Do, do you know what I mean? Like it, it's it, it's tricky to make something like that work. I think the I think the reality is is that. The, the F1 grid at the moment is, I think, l- less reliant on pay drivers than it's ever been, and certainly in the modern era. And I think a lot of drivers are there on 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 merit. I know that people will argue the likes of you know Lance Stroll with his familial co- connection is is something, and there's always going to be questions over whether Logan Sargent's only on the grid because he's American or little things like this. You're never going to escape that. As long as you have a degree of success in junior categories and you've proven that you're not a no-hoper, um, I'm not saying that's the bare minimum. I'm not saying that, that you know that that is all you need to be to get into F1. Of course, you should be a higher level than that. But like, there's nobody offensive on the grid at the moment. And the reality of motorsport and, and, and F1 is that it's not just about you know your results in one given season. So I'm actually okay with it, how it is at the moment. Um it was particularly problematic when Oscar Piastri was nowhere near getting a race drive as an excellent rookie F2 champion, but he was at least on the books of an F1 team with an opportunity to go and do something and get on the grid in the future. And, and, and I'm, I'm happy with that as a compromise for now. And the final question, which I'll take, is from Christopher Parrott, who says, Charles Leclerc, more like Charles Lecrash. 
And he adds, I won't hold it against you if you don't read that out. Well, it's you that said it, Christopher, so I was happy to read it. How big a blot on his reputation and the number of accidents Leclerc is having in 23 and in general? I saw a stat that he has had more accidents in the past five races than Mick Schumacher did in his whole career, and we know how that ended. And that's before you mentioned the high-profile errors in prior seasons. Surely he will remain a step below Verstappen and Hamilton pedigree as long as he is accident-prone. Well, we did touch on this a little bit earlier. And yeah, the short answer is there is a concern. He's a proper live wire driver, does incredible things on that knife edge and occasionally falls off it. I'd like to see him get that risk reward right once he's in a championship situation. I don't think that trying to overreach what the car can do is a particularly good argument for this happening too often because part of the skill of a driver is judging what the maximum of the car is and not going over it. But he also gets a lot right, doesn't he? It's not like he's crashing every single time. That that comparison to Schumacher, I think, particularly references those three significant crashes last year, the Jeddah one, the one in Monaco, and also that Suzuka practice one after the chequered flag, which are the three accidents that really counted against him in the mind of Haas when they were considering retaining him. But he did have other offs as well, and Schumacher never showed anything like Leclerc-style pace. So, yeah, I don't think that tells us a great deal. But yes, for Leclerc to prove absolutely he's in that Verstappen-Hamilton class, he does need to ensure he minimises the errors once in a title fight and maintains that speed with it. He's already superb and that would make him formidable. And I, th- I think he will. But yeah, he needs to cut back the frequency uh, a little bit. Well, thanks very much to Scott Mitchell-Malm and Mark Hughes for your insight. Head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen loads to read there on the fallout from the Miami Grand Prix and all the news in the world of Formula One. Check out our other podcasts, including Bring Back V10s, which tells classic F1 stories, our IndyCar podcast, Formula E, and also check out our YouTube channel as well. Well, there's a two-week gap before the next race with a triple header coming up, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic.